Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Sitting with me today is your favorite rug cleaner, Stanley Steamer. How goes the carpet cleaning business these days? Uh, it's going great. Everyone's carpet has been messy, so I've been getting a lot of work in lately. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Stanley Steamer makes your home cleaner. Yeah, that's my song. This is the jingle. Yeah, it's really good. This is the jingle. Yeah, I came up with it too, so <laughs> humble brag, humble plug, but... Uh, And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It is an early morning recording sesh for us today. So, uh, yeah, here we are, guys. Hello. Hello, hello. For today's history lesson, we are heading across the world to talk about the founder of the Greenbelt Movement and the first African woman to receive a Nobel Peace Prize, Wangari Mathai. I apologize if that is not the correct pronunciation. I looked it up. I did my best. Bear with me. Let's steam it up. Get out. Oh. (laughs) I am only just barely scratching the surface of this woman's mission and life, so I recommend you all watch the documentary Taking Root, The Vision of Wangari Mathai for an in-depth look into her like an even more in-depth look um because i really i'm i have like 10 pages of script right now and i don't even hardly hit anything about her so you know this is an overview this is reader's digest Ooh, yeah a brief synopsis <laughs> not so brief nah but not a, so brief. but, 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 but a good know. amount of info yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're gonna learn something <laughs> quote You cannot protect the environment unless you empower the people. You inform them, and you help them understand that these resources are their own, that they must protect them. Wangari Mathai was born on April 1st, 1940, in Ehithe, the Nairi district in central highlands of Kenya. She was part of the Kikuyum, the largest ethnic group in Kenya. In 1943, her family relocated for a while to a white-owned farm in the Rift Valley near Nakuru, where her father was able to find some work. Just a few years later, Wangari returned to Ihithe with her mother and her two brothers, who were attending primary school in the village. Her father stayed at the farm. The age of 11... Wangari moved to St. Cecilia's Intermediate Primary School, a boarding school at the Mathari Catholic Mission. Here, she learned to speak English fluently and converted to Catholicism. While in school, she was sheltered from the Mau Mau uprising that forced her mother to move from her homestead to an emergency village. When she completed school at the literal top of her class, she was granted admission to the only Catholic high school for girls in Kenya. It was called Loretta High School in Limuru. Here, she showed, again, great academic prowess and was hoping to be able to continue her education. 
Around this time, then-Senator John F. Kennedy agreed to fund a program to make the education of promising students from Kenya available in Western nations. Right? Well, that's good timing. Right? For him to step in <laughs> and, you know, right. get this program launched. Right, right, right. He was actually, um, he was kind of approached about it and he was like, yeah, yeah, you know what, yeah. You know what? Yeah, we'll do that. Let's do this. Let's do this. (laughs) It was actually known as the Kennedy Airlift or Airlift Africa. Mathai was one of 300 Kenyans selected to study in the United States in September of 1960. Wingari received a degree in biological sciences from Mount St. Scholastica College in Atchison, Kansas in 1964. Whoa, she went all the way to Kansas? Yeah. That's that 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 that's a bit of a change. That is a shift. But you know what? I mean, like, maybe I not wonder, agriculturally. That's but, what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, because maybe that's what made sense to her. Maybe mm-hmm. she was like, I don't want to be in a big city. I want to I wanna live on some farmland still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Kansas makes sense. <laughs> she actually ended up continuing her education and received a master's of science from the University of Pittsburgh in 1966. Things were looking like they were going exactly as planned, where she was appointed to a position as a research assistant to the professor of zoology at the University of Nairobi. She is moving on up in the ranks. However. Oh. <laughs> I spoke too soon. When she arrived at the university, she found that the position had been given to someone else. What? It wasn't confirmed, but Wangari was convinced it was because of her gender and tribal bias. So that's kind of crazy. Can you imagine being like, awesome, I've gotten these degrees. I'm overqualified for this assistant position. And, well, I don't want to say that but you know i'm at least absolutely perfectly qualified for this position Mm -hmm. and then you get to the university and they've given the job to someone else and just didn't tell you what no phone no cell phone and be like yo sorry no but there were phones (laughs) (laughs) there were letters she had access letters she would have had access. How else did she apply and receive the job? Yeah, but I'm saying on the way there, she didn't have, you know, her, you know, her iPhone yeah, on her. Still. You know, text message, yo, sorry, go Ridiculous. back. Ridiculous. <laughs> A two-month job search ensued, and Professor Reinhold Hoffman from the University of Geisen in Germany offered her a job as a research assistant in microanatomy. This was a section of the newly established Department of Veterinary Anatomy in the School of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Nairobi. In April of 1966, Wangari met Mwangi Mathai. Uh, He was actually a Kenyan who studied in America in the same program she had been able to do. So he actually later became her husband. Aww. In 1967, Professor Hoffman encouraged her to go to the University of Geisen in Germany to pursue a doctorate. I love when we hear about these educators that are like, listen, I I think you should do this. Believe in you. And even yeah. if they're at this point, there's no precedent for her. her a, a woman like her rising up through education like this 
It hasn't. It literally hasn't happened. And someone wasn't like, it can't happen. They were like, no, you can, let's do this. Let's get, let's get this done for you. In 1969, she returned to Nairobi to continue her studies at the University College of Nairobi. So she went, she studied in, in Germany. Then she came back to um, Nairobi and continued her studies there. She got married, became pregnant, and her husband actually campaigned unsuccessfully for a seat in the parliament. Finally, in 1971, she obtained her PhD from the University of Nairobi. Yes, girl. This made her the first woman in East and Central Africa to earn a doctorate degree. Get it done. Yes, 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 yes. In the early 70s, she became a member of the Nairobi branch of the Kenya Red Cross Society and, of course, became the director in 1973. She's one of those. She's You'll an notice. achiever. She's, she's yeah, one of yeah. those. Uh-huh. Every organization she joined, she's like, and now I'm in charge. Yeah. <laughs> she works hard, you know, and she moves up in the ranks. She never stops. Yeah. <laughs> she was also a member of the Kenya Association of University Women. And when the Environment Liaison Center was established in 1974, she was asked to be a member of the local board and later became the board director. The purpose of this organization was to promote participation of non-governmental organizations in the work of the United Nations Environmental Program, which is amazing. That's so important. Mm -hmm. I feel like she's doing uh, that that group, but also... It's, 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 that's so important. That's like something that we don't readily think about, mm-hmm. but like is detrimental right. to the, um, to the progress to of the it. overall. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. She joined the National Council of Women in Kenya and throughout all of her volunteer work, she noticed that the root of the problem was actually environmental degradation. Quote, disempowerment whether defined in terms of a lack of self-confidence, apathy, fear, or an inability to take charge of one's own life, is perhaps the most unrecognized problem in Africa today. To the disempowered, it seems much easier or even more acceptable to leave one's life in the hands of third parties, governments, aid agencies, and even God, than to try to alleviate one's circumstances through one's own effort. 1974 ushered in a third child for the family and a campaign bid by her husband for another seat in the parliament to represent the Lang Atta constituency. This time, he won. He ran on a campaign where he promoted to find jobs to limit the rise in unemployment. This led to the founding of EnviroCare Limited. Wingari was inspired by the work she had been doing with these previous organizations, and the goal was to plant trees to conserve the environment and involve people in the process. So I like that she's like, okay, you're in parliament now. Listen, I've been working on this idea. (laughs) I've been doing this thing, and I think it would be good. She's very hands-on. It's like you when you have a project. (laughs) I just can't stop until it's done. I'm going to keep working. You're like, listen, I, I have a plan. <laughs> I see the vision. I see the vision. I'm like, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> In 
The project did end up failing due to funding issues, but through conversations she'd had through EnviroCare, she was able to attend the first UN conference on human settlements, known as Habitat One, in June of 1976. Wow, what a what a what a thing! Crazy. Yeah, I love the idea that that it really you can't even call that a failure. the The entity itself did not continue but through that initial endeavor she was able to then do what we're about to get into yeah you know yeah yeah she didn't see it as Mm -hmm. woe is me my plan didn't work you know she said i need to aim higher for the sky yeah she said maybe i just need to do it a little different yeah Mathai became Professor Mathai at the University College of Nairobi, then the chair of the Department of Veterinary Anatomy in 1976, and then further, an associate professor in 1977, making her the first woman in the region to attain either of these positions. Hashtag she did that. While at the university, she campaigned for equal benefits for women working on staff because, uh, like, I just can't believe that. You know, I mean, I can. I, we won't get into it. I'll get sweaty. She even tried to turn the Academic Staff Association of the university into a union to negotiate benefits. Whoa, she the, came in like a wrecking ball. Yeah, the courts denied the bid. Oh, damn. However, <laughs> many of her demands were later met. Okay. So maybe the threat that was like, hey, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to keep saying unionize, union, Attica. Then they're going to give us, then they're going to give us other stuff eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Quote, I don't believe that the people of Africa are more accepting of corruption than those in other nations. Africans can, as history shows, many have, rise up and demand an end to inappropriate behavior. However, they want to know that if they stand up or speak out, then many others will do the same, especially their leaders, who should be in the forefront of this revolution in ethics. This is one of the most crucial challenges Africa faces. Meaning it could secure a value far beyond the dollar amount of any current or future development assistance. After attending Habitat One, Wangari spoke at the NCWK, that's the National Council of Women of Kenya, just, I'm going to refer to it as that from this point forward, Okay. about what she'd learned from the summit. She proposed planting more trees. On June 5th, 1977, World Environment Day, NCWK members marched in a procession from Kenyatta International Conference Center in downtown Nairobi to Kamamunji Park on the outskirts of the city and planted seven trees in honor of historical community leaders. This was the first Greenbelt Movement event. What's Greenbelt Movement? I was thinking that. I was going to ask. Mr. Steamer had that thought. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad, Mr. Steamer. Mr. Steamer's on it today. Yeah, yeah he tried. Well, I'll, I'll let you know. I did some research. Wingari was the founder of the Greenbelt Movement. It was founded under the National Council of Women of Kenya, and it was founded in response to the needs of rural Kenyan women. Streams were drying up, their food supply was insecure, and they were burdened with walking further and further and further and further for firewood, for fuel and fencing, for 
water, for food. Like they just, that was the women's responsibility, right? So what they're having to do is not only tend to their children, but also walk miles and miles and miles to get the bare minimum of things that should have been available right there that had been available previously, but because environmental degradation, blah, 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 blah. Such a necessary organization. Right. She encouraged women to work together to grow seedlings and plant trees to bind the soil, store rainwater, and provide food and firewood. Mm. I love they, that idea. Right? It's... Ugh. They would even be able to receive a small mon monetary token for their work. Most notable issues of the poor are environmental degradation, deforestation, and food insecurity. But I was able to read between the lines, and she saw this, quote, deeper issues of disempowerment, disenfranchisement, loss of traditional values to, to previous enabled communities to protect their environment, work together for mutual benefit, and do it selflessly and honestly. She instituted seminars in civic and environmental education. These included community empowerment and education seminars. They encouraged people to examine why they lagged in agency to change their political, economic, and environmental circumstances. The community was able to begin to understand they were placing trust in leaders who betrayed them. They were also sabotaging their own lives by not working for the common good, and they had failed to use the natural resources wisely. The group wasn't just active in environmental activism. They advocated for more democratic spaces and more accountability from national leaders. They fought against land grabbing and encroachment of agriculture into forests, they even internationally campaigned and advocated for working on climate change, the importance of Africa's rainforests in the Congo, which were the second largest in the in the world. They call it the second lung. Like wow. It's important. This and organization is sorry. It's yeah, no, no, it's crazy. They helped to initiate a Montanai campaign in an effort to instill, reduce, reuse, recycle in Kenya. I'll, I'll talk about that a little later. And they partnered with the United Nations Environmental Program in the Billion Tree Campaign. Quote, Gender inequality is one of the underlying causes of low productivity, as it does, among other things, hamper the participation of at least half of the country's population. She not only promoted gender equality, but gender equity. Yeah, it sounds like this organization really <laughs> it's a catch -all. It's went like... <laughs> through. Um, yeah, not just like societal issues that they faced um, agriculturally, but also, um, you know, uh, in terms of the people. Absolutely. And the issues that they were facing. Mm -hmm. um, pulling people together, establishing common ground, mm -hmm. um, facing... Yeah, and saying like you don't want to keep having to rely on on outward help like this. Let's let's look at it. Let's look at this land. What can we do with it? And also, yeah, and 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 addressing like um ge socioeconomic ge gender, gender, gender yes. politics. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've made it so far into this episode without an LVP, and it turns out we have two point five. What's LVP? least valuable player no i know oh oh for the new folks here 
LVP. We have an LVP of each episode. Usually. Not always. Most of They're the time. They're not always indicated. Yeah, so mostly we have an LVP. Sometimes we don't, which is good. But we don't always identify them or highlight them. Right. And that's why I think that threw me off. <laughs> this one, it's important in this one, though. Behind door number one, we have LVP uh, Mwangi Mathai. Confused because it's her husband and he's been under the radar this whole time? He's a slice of slimy ham. After having some issues... The two separated in 1977, with Mwangi filing for divorce in 1979. He believed she was too strong for a woman and complained that he was unable to control her, even calling her cruel in the court filings. Cruel. He he accused her of adultery with another member of parliament, and it was thought that this causes stress and high blood pressure, so the judge ruled in his favor. The judge isn't even the second full LVP. He's the point five. okay? In an interview after the trial, Mathai called the judge either incompetent or corrupt. The interview then led to the judge charging her with contempt of court, which kind of seems crazy because it wasn't in court. It was after she's allowed to voice an opinion, but That's maybe not. I don't know how. Ju- I don't know how. Yeah, she was then found guilty holds. and sentenced to six months in jail. Uh, she spent three days at the Langata Women's Prison in Nairobi before her lawyer was able to draft a statement, and the court found it um, sufficient for her release. So. Yay, yay for okay. a good lawyer. Well, at least it, only, it was only three days. <laughs> she, they, they, they better. I'm glad they got her out fast, though. She would have unionized that jail <laughs> by the end of the week. Man, mess around with her. Get out of here. So our LVP demanded that she drop his surname, and instead she just added a second A. I was hoping. I know. I was hoping <laughs> that she that she would change her name well, at some point. Here's here's the thing. Changing a name, changing your name either direction, either when you get married or after is so tedious. You have to get a whole new social security card. There's sure. a whole lot involved. Sure. Her whole name, her whole life has this name. Yeah, right, right. Her whole the green belt movement has this name. It's you know, and and you don't want to have to go and and explain to everyone. No, no, it's this now. She just was like, "I'll sneak another A in there yeah. in the beginning, mm-hmm. and you know, call it a day." Happy, yeah. <laughs> the divorce was expensive, and she found it difficult to provide for herself and her three children on her university salary. Wingari found an opportunity where she would be where she would be working for the Economic Commission for Africa through the United Nations Development Program. The position required extensive travel throughout Africa and was primarily based in Lusaka in, in Lusaka, Zambia, meaning she would not be able to bring her children. She was able to see them regularly, but they lived with the LVP until 1985. In the later half of the 1980s, there came a slew of less-than-happy conflicts. I'll touch on just a few. The Kenyan government began to literally just come down against Mathai and the Greenbelt movement. 
Oh. I know, right? How dare you plant these trees and hold us accountable? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, why would they do that to such a a progressive, forward-thinking organization? Because they hate themselves. The single-party regime opposed the movement's positions on democratic rights. They had recently installed a colonial-era law that prohibited groups of more than nine from meeting without a government license, which is funny to think about with, like covid restrictions but it's different it's different it's not the same people it's not the same in 1988 the gbm so that's what i'm going to start referring to um as the green Green belt Belt movement Movement. thank Mm -hmm. you the gbm started participating in more and more pro-democracy activities like registering voters for elections pressing for constitutional reform freedom of expression love it you know yeah the good stuff Mathai accused the government of carrying out electoral fraud in elections to continue to maintain their power. In October of 1989, Mathai learned of a plan to erect a 60-story Kenya Times Media Trust complex in Uhuri Park. They intended to house the headquarters of KANU, Kenya Times Newspaper, Trading Center, offices, an auditorium, galleries, shopping malls, and parking spaces for 2,000 cars in a park. (laughs) (laughs) And also a statue of our other LVP, President Daniel Arap Moy. What did he do? Oh, oh, he just sucks. Oh. (laughs) He just, nothing. He just sucks. Oh, we'll get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Mathai wrote letters of protest to anyone and everyone. Even writing one to Sir John Johnson, the British High Commissioner in Nairobi. Can you be whiter than John Johnson? Ch- Steve Stevenson. <laughs> I think John Johnson. John Johnson. John Johnson. <laughs> that sucks. She urged him to intervene. She equated the construction of a tower in Uhuri Park to a tower being built in Hyde Park or Central Park. Can you imagine that? An entire massive complex being just bulldozing over the zoo in Central Park and just sticking in this complex? It's uh, horrible. And that's like a Napoleonic complex. I know. (laughs) Big fat shocker that the government didn't respond to any protests except through a couple of media statements. In a media statement, he called her a crazy woman and denied that the project would take more than a small portion of the land in the park. So, (laughs) calm down. All right, calm down. (laughs) The parliament was pissed that she reached out to foreign organizations. They called the GBM a bogus organization and the members a bunch of divorcees. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And if she was so comfortable communicating with the Europeans, she should just go live there. That's such a strange kind of insult. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're all divorced, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, we're divorced because our husbands we wanted sh- to control us, yeah. and we didn't want them anymore. Yeah, like, we wanted that. We made that happen. We, we're you're right. We're happy you're, about you're that. Right. Thank we're, you. We're a bunch of strong women, indirectly, is what you're saying. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you I for the compliment, it's not the insult Mr. You think President. <laughs> Protests through the community grew and grew, though it did not seem to matter. They broke ground on the project on November 15th, 1989. 
They sought an injunction with the Kenya High Court to stop construction, and the case was thrown out on December 11th. President Loser said that anyone who opposed the construction of the tower had insects in their brains. He's like a little petulant two-year-old, right? You have insects in your brains. What? What are you talking about? That's gross, and I would tell that child, you know nothing. <laughs> You're disgusting. I don't have also, insects in my you, brain anymore. You know, maybe I do have a parasite. Like, how dare you? Get off of my back. You don't know my struggles. What did we watch? Oh, Mando. <laughs> Mandalorian, oh, where the lizard, the lizard went up his nose. <laughs> I don't have an no, insect in my Boba brain. No, that was Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have a... <laughs> that's gross. I just... I don't like the thought of anything going up my nose. Horrible. Or in my brain. Terrible. Anyway. In a December 12th speech, he said that Mathai should be a proper woman in African tradition and respect men and be quiet. Proper woman. I this feel like that term, that turn of phrase would kill you. Oh. <laughs> like, I would kill him. I would like just kill him. Like a proper woman. You'd... <laughs> I would be like, I'll show you a proper woman. Yeah, come here. Come a little closer. In, uh, Say that a little closer to my face. In uh, New York City today. <laughs> Say that. Come, come say that come to my say face. say that to my face. Gosh. <laughs> Mathai was forced to vacate her office, and the GBM moved into her home, basically. She was audited in an obvious attempt to shut down the GBM, and then finally foreign investors canceled the project in January 1990. So they did make enough noise to the point where foreign investors were like, yeah, this isn't good. He's saying women need to be proper women. and ooh. It's unfortunate, though, that they only, I mean, they that like stepped in. That it happened a little after, yeah. Well, because of business. Like, right. Because, you know, it was going to affect their wallets. And truly, I think it probably, they probably could, like, stomach the protests for a while until it was obvious that they were just going after her. And the GBM, like, specifically, you know, as if they're the only participants in opposing. In January of 1992, a list of people targeted for assassination and possible government-sponsored coup was brought to light. Armathai was on the list. The Pro-Democracy Group Forum for the Restoration of Democracy presented the information to the media and called for a general election. Mathai gets a call that a member has been arrested. Fast forward a bit and Mathai has barricaded herself in her home. She was besieged for three days before the police cut through the bars she had installed on her windows. <laughs> they came in and arrested her. Wow. They charged her with spreading malicious rumors, sedition, and treason. What? I don't, I don't, what? I object, Your Honor. <laughs> she spent a day and a half in jail, was released on bail, and then, bam, international organizations and eight senators, including Al Gore and Edward and Edward M. Kennedy, got involved. Go, Al Gore. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> they put pressure on the Kenyan government to substantiate charges or risk damaging their relations with the United States. In November of 1992, the Kenyan government finally dropped the charges against her. Rightfully so. Now rewind a tad. In February of 1992, while she was out on bail, she and other GBM members participated in a hunger strike in the corner of Uhuru Park, dubbed the Freedom Corner. 
they were putting pressure on the government to release the political prisoners. After four days of the hunger strike, the police forcibly removed the protesters. She and three others were knocked unconscious by the police and were hospitalized. Holy shit. Yeah. President I'm a Fragile Little Baby called her a madwoman and a threat to the order and security of the country because she's doing a hunger strike in the corner to tell you to release the political prisoners. Ah, she's a threat. That's so messed up for them to do that. Yeah. I mean, I know we, we, we've we seen now uh, just atrocities uh, like this, but... yeah. Um, still. Still, for the cause, that's definitely not the response. Nope. The incident garnered international criticism, with the U.S. State Department saying they were deeply concerned by the violence and forcible remover of the hunger strikers. Hypocrisy. In the meantime, <laughs> Mathai was internationally recognized for her efforts that the Kenyan government just, like, super didn't get. 1991, she was awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize in San Francisco. The Hunger Project, she was also awarded the Hunger Project's Prize for Leadership in London. CNN had actually aired a three-minute segment about the Goldman Prize. The segment was cut when it aired in Kenya. Whoops. That's, that's shade. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Yeah. In June 1992... Mathai and President I Hate Women traveled to Rio de Janeiro for the UN Conference on Environment and Development. How do you get elected with a name like I, that? You know, a Strange. lot of men. <laughs> That's how. The Kenyan government accused her of inciting women and encouraging them to strip at the Freedom Corner. What? <laughs> yeah, weird. They urged that she not be allowed to speak at the summit. Jokes on them because she was chosen as the chief. She was chosen oh, as the chief spokesperson at the summit. That's so funny. They were like, "Yo, bro, sh- you look so dumb right now." In January of 1992, Mathai went back to teaching as the Dorothy McCluskey Visiting Fellow for Conservation at the Yale University's School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, which I didn't know was a thing, where she taught a course on sustainable development focused on the work of the GVM. Skip forward a couple years, and it was revealed in 1998 that the government had a plan to privatize public land in the Karura Forest and give it to various political supporters. God, could you be... That's unfortunate. (sighs) Quote, We have a responsibility to protect the rights of generations of all species that cannot speak for themselves today. The global challenge of climate change requires that we ask no less of our leaders or ourselves. Once again, Mathai protested this proposal with letters to the government and the press. She went to the Karua Forest with GBM to plant trees and protest the destruction of the forest. So I can't think of a more peaceful protest than planting trees, right? So on January 8th, 1999, Mathai, protesters, six opposition MPs, journalists, international observers, GBM members, and supporters went to the forest. The entrance was guarded by a large group of men. That's unnecessary. When Mathai tried to plant a tree in an area that had been designated to be cleared for a golf course, they were literally attacked. 
Protesters were injured, including Mathai, four MPs, journalists, and German environmentalists. She reported the attacks to the police, who in turn refused to go to the forest to arrest the perpetrators. Fortunately, the incidents had been filmed, and it subsequently provoked international outrage once again. I'm glad we're at this point of history where things can be filmed, yep. shared, and uh, appropriately reacted to. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Student protests erupted in Nairobi, some of which were violently broken up by the police. Protests continued until April 16th, when the president announced the banning of all allocation of public land. He was like, oh, I'm going to ban it. That's what you guys want, right? Yeah, but you were the reason. This isn't... What? That's the worst response to uh, something that he was doing. Oh, God. He's such a nightmare. Gosh. Mathai campaigned as a candidate of the National Rainbow Coalition for a position in Parliament. The National Rainbow Coalition was an umbrella organization that united the opposition. Like, united in opposition. Right, right. The opposition. On December 27th, 2002, the coalition defeated the ruling party, Kenya African National Union, winning with 98% of the vote. Oh, so the voters turned out for this one. Mm-hmm. That is excellent. Mm-hmm. They spoke. They went to the polls. I have a feeling that they had been turning out the whole time, but they're much like she accused had been corruption to keep themselves in power. In the election process. But like. Who am I to say? In 2003. She was appointed the country's assistant minister. For environment, natural resources and wildlife. The same year she founded the Mazingiri Green Party of Kenya. This allowed candidates to run on a platform of conservation. As embodied by the GBM. So they didn't even have to run on like. Um necessarily a strictly political party it's like our green party you mm-hmm. know which doesn't isn't uh, unfortunately taken very seriously which it should be really she talked about a conversation she had with a small farmer making fairly good money with a few macadamia nut trees on his property word got out that there was good money to be had and thieves stole the nuts before they were ripe and sold subpar rotten nuts making the initial initial buyers of this farmer's nuts no longer wanting to continue that trading relationship because people were ripping out trees pulling um the macadamia nuts off the tree macadamia nuts are only ripe when they fall to the ground and then you collect them and then that's how you have a sustainable source of income and food and and people were just like no money now There wasn't anything that the farmer could do. There was no help from the government in terms of educating anyone really on agricultural and trading ways. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But I suggested they form a co-op of sorts. Quote, however, the thieves wanted money and they wanted it fast. So intoxicated were they with the prospect of selling the nuts. They were willing to ruin their prospects for further wealth by cutting down the trees. Along the way, they thought nothing of impoverishing their neighbors by making sure that they could neither harvest another crop from a particular tree nor be able to make money again from macadamia nuts, even if they could access the market. This is how the poor sometimes work against themselves. 
She called it a form of corruption, comparing it to a minister demanding a kickback before issuing a license. Quote, the result is that communities often end up dealing with governments or companies interested mainly in taking advantage of the vacuum created by the culture of corruption to extract as many resources as possible at as low a price as they can. So the problem is when you're continually just treated by that like, that way by the people in charge, you're obviously going to emulate that behavior. Of course. There's no other explanation. That's what happens. You could if if you are treated and with corruption and only know corruption as a forms of getting ahead, which is what these people have shown is how they got ahead. That's the only way that you're going to behave because it's not other things aren't working or you're not even being educated on other ways. Right. You're that's not being told. Yeah, that's a shame. She knew that personal or collective corruption would never be eliminated, but concrete measures can be taken to revolutionize ethics. She even proposed that an African president or prime minister could say the following, quote, We have a problem in our country and as a people. We are cheating and undermining ourselves, and we need to change. For whether it is a policeman bribing a bus driver or a government minister receiving a kickback to license a business or someone stealing someone's crops to make a quick penny, we are failing ourselves, our country, those who came before us, and indeed future generations. I want us as a country to work on it, and it will start with me, and I will do my best to value honesty in whatever I do. I would love any She's like, hey, hey, of any world. of you could say literally this speech. Just give give that a go. Yeah, any leader of the free world that decided to say that would be a hero oh my or gosh. heroine. Mm-hmm. In an article for Resurgence magazine, she wrote, quote, The corruption and graft that have tainted so much of Africa's leadership in the post-independence period are well known. The misappropriation of funds, outright left, incompetence, and cronism that have characterized too many African governments for decades have been often catalogs. What perhaps is less well understood is how, because of a failure of leadership at the top of the social tree, the culture of corruption and dependency has too often eaten its way down to the roots, like we were just saying. You know, it's, it's again, if you're continuing to be shown that this is the only way to get ahead and all of the people in power are behaving in corruption and this is true of any any country this is not this is it's lead by example in 2004 Wangari was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize making her the first African woman to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and the first environmentalist which I didn't know a little fun statistic for you that isn't so fun. From 1901 to 2018, 52 Nobel Prize awards were given to women. 852 were given to men. Uh, her, her, sorry, just I wanted yeah. to say her getting the Nobel Pri uh, Peace Prize was, was long overdue uh, with her, the efforts that she made um, in her attempt to change her environment. Yeah. And also that statistic is sad yes period period <laughs> but it's really interesting um yeah her her efforts I, I guess i hadn't maybe maybe people had used environmentalism 
four piece, but not quite on the scale that she was, she was doing, doing it. it. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. she was like very clear that I this this might be, you know, one of the first times I've been able to see a direct correlation between the environment and a peaceful, productive society. Mm-hmm. Not to say that um, you know, it no one has ever worded it like that before, but I think she was so succinct in, in her mission and the way she was doing it mm-hmm. and saying, look, like, it's not just we're destroying the earth. It's look at what it's doing to your space. Right. Put it directly involved with you in direct correlation with you. And I think in America we have a problem because... People don't care about the next person. Right. And it's not even just that. It's like so much of what we have around us, it actually doesn't really matter if... It does matter. It does matter. But I mean, you can turn on a faucet and you've got water. You can go around the corner and you've got food. Yeah, right. You know... But... People don't care about right, exactly. the people who exactly. don't have that Exactly. Ability. They don't care about the other side of the world that doesn't have that. Or even down the block where True. people mm-hmm. don't have that. Mm-hmm. The Norwegian Nobel Committee noted her, noted her, quote, sustainable development, democracy, and peace. And that she, quote, stands at the front of the fight to promote ecologically viable social, economic, and cultural development in Kenya and in Africa in general. She has taken a holistic approach to sustainable development that embraces democracy, human rights, and women's rights in particular. She thinks globally and acts locally. And that's what we're trying to say too. Think think global, act local. I love that. When accepting the award, she said, quote, I believe the Nobel Committee was sending a message that protecting and restoring the environment contributes to peace. It is peace work. I always felt that our work was not simply about planting trees. It was about inspiring people to take charge of their environment, the system that governed them, their lives, and their future. Absolutely. Yes, because how empowered do you feel? Approach. Right. How empowered do you feel when you can keep a plant alive for a while or you plant a little tomato tree and you're like, look at all this produce. I don't have to buy these. I feel empowered thinking that I have the capability to do that. <laughs> I can't, though. <laughs> Here comes another little boo to the, to the bleh. The Standard reported that Mathai had claimed HIV AIDS was deliberately created by Western scientists to decimate the African, to decimate the African population. She denied the allegations and in an interview with Time Magazine in 2004 said the following. These are two paragraphs, so a little long, bear with me. Quote, I have no idea who created AIDS and whether it is a biological agent or not. But I do know that things like that don't come from the moon. I have always thought that it is important to tell people the truth, but I guess there is some truth that must not be too exposed. When she was probed further on what she meant by that, she said, quote, I'm referring to AIDS. I am sure people know where it came from, and I'm quite sure it didn't come from the monkeys. Quote, I have warned people against false beliefs and misinformation, such as attributing this disease to a curse from God, or believing that sleeping with a virgin cures the infection. These prevalent beliefs in my region have led to an upsurge in rape and violence against children. 
It is within this context also complicated by the cultural and religious perspective that I often speak. I have therefore been shocked by the ongoing debate generated by what I am purported to have said. It is therefore critical for me to state that I neither say nor believe that the virus was developed by white people or white powers in order to destroy the African people. Such views are wicked and destructive. And what's interesting to me is, though, I think she she's dancing around a bit, and I like it. She's like, it didn't come from the moon, you fools. <laughs> like, God, Science. I don't know if it was created or where it came from but also you can't just be spewing this stuff and why is this the conversation why are you so worried about what i said or what i didn't say why aren't you worried about what's happening why aren't you worried about the actual crisis itself and the children who are being violently attacked (laughs) i like that she's like that's why i'm so confused why 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 people care so much about what i said or didn't say yeah they should ask her about the proactive work talk more or, or just talk more about what can we do yeah. What can we do? Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. What can we do? After a 2005 trip to Japan, Mathai became an enthusiast of the waste reduction philosophy of Montanai, which is basically reduce, reuse, recycle, <laughs> which is kind of fun. I like that she is traveling the world and saying, oh, I like that. Bringing that home. This is good. This one works. <laughs> She's inspired by everything that she sees that mm-hmm. she, you know, can take uh, and, you know, uh, that she can take away from. Mm-hmm. On March 28th, 2005, Mathai was elected as the first president of the African Union's Economic, Social, and Cultural Con- Council. She was also appointed as a goodwill ambassador for an initiative aimed at protecting the Congo Basin forest ecosystem. In 2006, she was one of the eight flag bearers at the 2006 Winter Olympics opening ceremony. Yay! (laughs) In August of 2006, U.S. Senator Barack Obama went to Kenya. His father had been educated in America through the same program as Mathai. Can you believe that? What a small, weird world. They planted a tree together in Uhuru Park. Obama called for freedom of the press to be respected in a speech saying, quote, press freedom is like tending a garden. It continually has to be nurtured and cultivated. The citizenry had to value it because it's one of those things that can slip if we're not vigilant. When Gary Mathai passed away on September 25th, 2011, Just a year later, the Collaborative Partnership on Forests launched the inaugural Rangari Mathai Forest Champion Award. Oh, I wish she would have gotten those flowers before. She got a Nobel Prize. What are you talking... Okay. Those literal flowers I didn't list all of the other awards and honorary things. I didn't list any of that. I mean... She got her flowers. Just being... Just having a a forest named at, like... No, it's a... No, no, no. It's not a forest. It's... It's, um... It's a champion award. It's a... It's an award. It's a memorial, like, scholarship, basically. The same year, the Wangari Gardens opened in Washington, D.C. So there were... (laughs) It is a 2.7 acre community garden project for local residents, which is so cool. Um... I'm sure there were other things, like you said, yeah. I, I, there, there were other things you didn't mention. I'm sure there were, but <laughs> I mean, she worked so hard for this one initiative. And then when she passes, she's like, we're going to name a garden after her in D.C. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen that before I passed. 
<laughs> I'm going to leave you guys with this quote. No matter who or where we are or what our capabilities, we are called to do the best we can. Wow. Mm. Short, sweet, to the point. Mm-hmm. She she saw the future. She mm. saw what people could be. She saw the potential in our planet and being able to tap into its resources while also replenishing the well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Um, if you don't if you don't come from a mindset where you don't have as much then you don't see the fruits of you, you don't see the fruits of that labor of trying to rebuild back and better mm-hmm. um, because you know you just kind of take advantage of what you have without giving back mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so she was very her, her work was very important. Mm. And she was a very forward-thinking woman. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure she, you know, she inspired uh, organizations, you know, mm-hmm. after her to mm. pick up the work where she left off. Absolutely. I'd like to think that. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, historians, for tuning in again. Subscribe, follow, create an art installation seen from the International Space Station. Come back this Friday for an interview with Tamika Peoples, the founder of Seed to Shirt. And I actually paired these episodes up together um, because this is an incredible apparel company that isn't just black owned, but every step of the t-shirt making process from seed to shirt starting in Africa is through other black owned companies. Oh, I love that. Isn't that amazing? In this interview, she shares with us where the inspiration came from to create this brand how she educated herself on international trading, (laughs) and so much more. If you love us, consider donating to the podcast through the link in the show notes. You can follow us on social media, Twitter. At the Her Story Pod. Instagram. At Women of Her Story Podcast. TikTok. At Women of Her Story. Facebook. At Women of Her Story. (laughs) And you can always visit our website at ofherstory.com. Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Wear a mask, bundle up, have a nice day. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you.